Life in China is full of interesting and unforgettable experiences, and many expats, or Laowai as they are known here, love to talk about their unique adventures in the Middle Kingdom, their jobs. For a guy with a business background, let me say something controversial. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of business books, actually. Their culinary preferences. It's terrible, but, it's, but it is. It's gongbaojiding. And their favorite aspects of living in China. I didn't really know about Mauritius before I came here. Now I have a lot of friends from Mauritius. Not only them, but like other people from all over the world. With Nila Nyakoa, next. When Kenyan entrepreneur Walter Rigu embarked on his journey to China in 2009, he had no clue this would be the place where he would spot so many business opportunities for a budding African entrepreneur. No, actually, my original intention when I first came to China was to understand more about uh, China's experience in poverty alleviation because it's a big opportunity given uh, Africa's uh, fast-rising economy. For a few years, he worked for various organizations in Beijing before he finally quit and started his own company, Kamal, in 2014. To get used to this change, of course, takes a lot, but it's very exciting to be here. Today, Kamal prides itself in successfully assisting companies to leverage China as a source of supplies, capital and technical expertise. He speaks to me about what it takes to find success in China. It's an issue of managing expectations. And above all, the good business lessons he has grasped over time working with clients from both China and Africa and how those lessons have helped steer his company in the right direction. Walter, you're the founder and managing director of Kamal, a Kenyan company that has offices, of course, in Nairobi and Beijing. Tell us more about this firm. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Kamal Group, uh, we're a Kenyan company based in uh, China, as you mentioned, and we try to add value to our African clients. And we do this in three main ways. In the trading aspect, that is procurement and commodity trading. And also we help them find suitable partners for their business. And how exactly do you do that? When you talk about like suitable partners, how do you go about it? The first thing we do is try to understand our clients' needs. Uh, we focus mainly on the construction and mining sectors in Africa. And by understanding what they need and also understanding what the Chinese market has to offer and the value propositions that can come from China, then we're able to structure the agreements between China and Africa. Is that an easy task? I think it's not an easy task, but it's a task that needs to be done because it's a big opportunity given Africa's uh, fast-rising economy. So it's not easy, but the opportunity is great because China offers a lot of value addition in three main areas. The first is from technical skills and equipment. The second is in terms of financing and also just the knowledge since China 30 years ago was where most African countries are today. You came to China about eight years ago. Would you say it has been a, an easy ride for you? And how did you get yourself, how did you find yourself getting in this line of business? I think the most interesting thing about China is that uh, the only constant is change. Uh, the China of eight years ago is not the same today. There's changing, the, the economic scene is changing, the companies are changing, the technology is changing every week. So to get used to this change, of course, takes a lot, but it's very exciting to be here because it also gives us a chance to learn a lot because what was true two years ago is not necessarily true today in China. 
And by understanding these shifting patterns, we can add more value to our African clients. When you first came here, did you know that you'd be starting up a company for yourself? No, actually, my original intention when I first came to China was to understand more about uh, China's experience in poverty alleviation. I was very much focused on development economics, and I was quite focused a lot on the macroeconomic trends and work for the United Nations. But after working a few months in that field, I recognized that the biggest opportunity between China and Africa and the best way to leverage the opportunity between China and Africa is through the private sector. From what I understand is that if you told people maybe eight years ago or even seven years ago that you'd be doing this, they would think you're crazy, right? Because we don't see so many African people getting involved in the private sector when it comes to China and Africa. I think it's not only seven years ago. I think uh, even today, there's still a lot of people when they think about China, Africa, they only think about the Chinese companies in Africa and not necessarily the African companies in China. And even when they do think about the African companies in China, they tend to focus more on Guangzhou. But for us, we view China, like I said, in in three main ways that uh, it can add value to African companies. And Us being an African company and striving to understand how we can leverage on this value addition from Chinese firms, I think is what allows us to add value to our African clients. You started Kamal back in 2014. So far, how is it going for you? Is it going in the direction that you wanted? I think there's two ways to look at it. Um, The original intentions we had when we founded the company and the current situation. Um, When we began the company, we were focused a lot on commodities because this is what the China market demanded and we had quite a number of clients that focused in this area. However, the Chinese economy has been changing. So the company itself is evolving as the Chinese economy evolves because if we don't, we will not be able to succeed and we will not be able to add the value addition to our clients. So the the short answer is yes, uh, I think by adapting to these changes, Kamal is progressing in the direction that we, we would like it to be. Coming up. A lot of foreign uh, countries analyze problems from top down. In China, most companies, most people analyze the problem from bottom up. We'll find out what that means when we return. And I think a lot of uh, people, especially from Kenya, they admire you. They admire your entrepreneurial skills because since you've started, you've employed a few former students who are studying here in China, which is a good thing. How does that make you feel? Like I said, we see Kamal not only as a as a as a business, but we also want to take from the experience of China and add value to. Africa and of course our African clients. So currently there are a lot of African students studying in uh, in Beijing and a lot of them have very good Chinese skills, they have very good technical skills because they have studied engineering. So not always um, they don't always have the opportunity to gain employment despite these, you know, high level skills. So the small contribution that we can make by employing some of these uh, former students is not only good value addition to the company, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, I think it's also good for the greater China-Africa relationship. Now, China has many suppliers and manufacturers, as we know. As we know, How do you get to select, for example, which ones to go into business with? Because I don't think it's a process that's quite easy having all these choices around you. We've established a system and process to do 
what we call supplier vetting. So this is really where we add our value addition. Um, I think that the more complex the China market, the more opportunity there is because maybe the foreign companies will not understand or don't understand how to engage with these companies. And that's where we can create value. So do you have to travel a lot uh, within the country to you know, meet up with suppliers? And, because the country is quite vast. If you have to travel from Iwu to Tangshan to Guangzhou, that's a lot. it takes a lot of energy and effort as well as money, doesn't it? Yeah, China is big. Uh, but like I said, throughout the years, we have developed databases and we've developed systems that help us reduce the amount of time necessary in travel. But sometimes there's no option because we really need to verify the factories. Mm-hmm. But we have a strong team. We have a capable team. And... Um, China is interesting. The infrastructure in China is great in terms of high-speed rail. So travel is is not as difficult as it could have been a few years ago. Right. Now, when you're dealing with uh, cli- your clients back in Africa and dealing with your suppliers and clients in China, what are, what are some of the similarities or differences that you've picked up along the way? And how, how do you combine the two experiences to make your life much easier? I think one of the biggest uh, differences is just an issue of uh, culture and that applies to you know the culture of the client the culture of the supplier but also the business culture and how business is done and it's an issue of managing expectations managing client expectations managing supplier expectations uh, like I mentioned, for instance, China is changing very quickly. Right now, there are a lot of factories that are being shut down for environmental, uh, due to environmental regulations. So if the overseas client does not understand what is happening in the greater Chinese macroeconomy, then they can be, you know, they can be uh, miscommunication. So we try to do our best to explain the situation in China to the overseas client. At the same time, the overseas clients, they also have deadlines. They also have ways they do things. So we need to explain what the overseas situation is to the Chinese manufacturers. Mm -hmm. And that's really um, where Kamal brings in our value. Life in China is full of interesting and unforgettable experiences. And many expats, or Laowai as they are known here, love to talk about their unique adventures in the Middle Kingdom, their jobs. For a guy with a business background, let me say something controversial. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of business books, actually. Their culinary preferences. It's terrible, but, it's, but it is. It's gongbaojiding. And their favourite aspects of living in China. I didn't really know about Mauritius before I came here. Now I have a lot of friends from Mauritius. And not only them, but like other people from all over the world. With Nila Nyakoa, next. I'm really curious to understand how, because you have to really understand when it comes to, as you mentioned, culture. There are some nuances in different cultures, like China. The way you deal with people here is very different from how you deal with people in Africa. For example, if you had a meeting with a client and you haven't had from them uh, the, the feedback from them for like a few months, what does that mean? So do you, how do you get to manage such kinds of nuances, and especially in China? I think the nuances is not only unique to China itself. I mean, if you look at our company, we have an international team. We have team of Africans, we have team of Chinese, we have team of Europeans. So within our own company, we are dealing with these nuances and we're dealing with dealing with multi, a multicultural environment. But for us, we view it as a strength. So the more we can understand our colleagues, the more our colleagues can understand us, 
the better mm-hmm. we are with engaging with the clients the better we are with engaging with the suppliers mm-hmm. so yes sure it takes time but like i said um we ourselves by practicing it inside our own company uh, we are able to offer more value to the china and africa side as well mm-hmm. but when you're dealing with sp- specific clients for example uh, let's say you're dealing with chinese uh, individuals like what are some of the things what are some of the examples you have on how um to secure that business deal with a chinese individual i'll give you a simple example a lot of uh, foreign uh, countries uh, they try to they analyze problems from top down in china most companies most people analyze the problem from bottom up so what do i mean if you're trying to procure some equipment for instance the client might say i want this equipment x but if you talk to the chinese supplier and say that i need this machine they will ask you what are the specifications mm-hmm. what size what is the capacity what are you going to use this machine for so that is actually one of the biggest challenges is to convince the overseas clients to produce more detail or to allow the chinese manufacturers to give us solutions that where the, the 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 specifications or where the details are missing. Mm-hmm. So this problem we actually run into it quite a lot. So we're always trying to balance between drawing information from overseas and trying to also draw information from the supplier so that you know we're able to come up with a solution that the overseas uh, company can either agree or disagree and then we fine tune it. Now having lived here for quite a long time of course working here uh, studying a business here what kind of lessons would you say you've drawn from your experiences uh being here in China and how have you used them in the success of your business I think the biggest thing that we've learned is not to quit because uh it's not easy there are many challenges uh, there are many challenges because it's a different environment there's a different system but the the biggest thing we have learned is not to quit keep our eye on the ball and um i think this has helped us through the rough patches but what are some of the things that when you look at them when you look at how chinese businesses are run or how chinese people you know drive their businesses to success what kind of lessons have you drawn from that i'll give you an example um currently the steel sector in china has changed dramatically couple of years ago you could export steel billets for about $250 per ton today that price is almost three times the price which means that this market is dead this market is no longer an export market in fact china is now importing so a lot of the companies that were only focused on that business they've either gone bankrupt or they're in financial hardships or they've had to change however when i meet these chinese companies that were fully engaged in this sector although they are not happy that the situation has happened they are very pragmatic about it and a lot of them have shifted to different sectors so this is one key lesson that we have seen you know you're not going to change the macroeconomy so you might as well deal with it if the steel sector has changed then you move to another sector and we have seen this in 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 china quite a bit um i think another lesson is uh, just to try 8 years ago the number of chinese companies in kenya and the number of chinese companies uh, in africa in general is only a fraction of what it is today a lot of these companies uh, the leaders they don't speak uh, the local language they don't understand the local customs but they understand that there is a problem that needs a solution 
and China may just offer that solution, whether it's in the form of equipment, whether it's in the form of capital, whether it's in the form of technology, there is a problem that needs to be solved. And any time there is a problem to be solved, it means there is a business opportunity. And that is really actually what I admire about China in Africa. It's not only about making profit, because you cannot make profit if you're not solving a problem. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a big uh, lesson we have learned. What about efficiency? I, I, I pretty, like, one of the things I do like about this country is the efficiency that, that is just, you know, have from, this, from just a small, smallest person to the biggest person. I think it's a matter of systems. Um, if the systems are in place, then the people will follow it. And I think that's uh, that's what you're referring to. In China, you know, if we need to make a trip to the factory, will the high-speed train be on time? Will the people be on time? You know, this is because there is a system. It's not because, you know, there is something unique about China. It's actually quite simple. The systems and processes, and when the systems and processes are not followed, that there are consequences. Mm-hmm. And this really drives the way the people think and the way people act and the way the companies operate. You're listening to My China Story with me, Nilanya Koa. My guest this week is Kenyan national Walter Ruigo. Walter is the founder and managing director at Kamal Limited, a company that has been helping African companies across various industries access China as a source of supplies while at the same time assisting Chinese enterprises with a go global agenda to enter the African market. When it comes to Chinese business people, they look at Africa and they see problems that they can't provide solutions for. Is that reciprocal? Are there some problems in China that you think they're unique to China but can have an African solution? Yes, I think the the biggest the biggest opportunity that uh, Africa or African companies can think about when looking at China is to view China as a market. It's a big market, but the market is segmented, right? I'm not saying China is a market of 1.4 billion because that that would be clearly wrong. China is a country of 1.4 billion people. What product are you trying to sell? What type of solution are you trying to provide to the Chinese population? What kind of product or service you're trying to provide to the Chinese middle class? Because it's the fastest growing. Where are your potential clients? I think once African companies began, begin to look at China in this way, then yes, I think uh, business will flow because business is a matter of understanding the problem and delivering a solution. And so far, are there any challenges, obstacles you've been facing that you'd rather you'd, you'd want to get rid of? Yeah, I think they're there. But um, like I said, we are trying to understand how we can uh, deal with it. And one of it is, uh, you know, the fast-changing uh, Chinese macroeconomy and the fast-changing uh, technology. We are trying to understand how does this affect our business because the way we're operating today is not going to be the way we are operating five years, ten years down the line. Mm -hmm. So I think actually the biggest issue in China is an issue of uh, technology. Technology is changing really fast and um, we really need to be on top of it to understand what this means. Now, Kamal has also, um, I read this somewhere that you support, your company supports Chinese companies with a go global agenda to enter the African market. Can you expound on that a little bit more? Yes, um, 
when we engage with Chinese companies, whether they're suppliers, whether they're importers, whether they're investors, they are looking to go overseas. Uh, ever since the late 90s, Chinese government developed the Going Global uh, initiative, which has now morphed into also the private sector. So one example I would use is we have some very good suppliers. They have supplied our clients, but they want to go into a new market. They want to enter this country X, but they don't know anybody there. They don't speak that language. They don't know what the regulations are in that country. So they want to understand more how they can do, how can they, they can enter that market. Mm-hmm. So we assist them, uh, we assist them uh, in this market entry. I've met a few, if not many, African students who have, everybody seems to have this dream of at some point getting into business and, and starting a business here. What kind of advice would you give to them? I think the first is what value addition are you bringing for your clients? Because uh, clients are selfish. Clients want the benefit for, for themselves. So you need to start there. What are you offering to your client? Two where is your client going to be? Who's your target client? Most of the African students here come from various African countries. So they have an understanding of what is happening in their country. They have an understanding of the market. They're also here, so they understand what China can offer. Most of them and most of them speak the language. They understand how Chinese enterprises work. So by understand that is already the value that they can add, uh, the cross-border business. And Also, the third thing, like I mentioned, being in China, uh, especially for the students and being here when they're relatively young to experience China changing so fast and the technology developing so quickly, is a big opportunity. So that that is how I would begin to uh, look at the problem. What's next for Kamal in the future? We also looking at other countries in Asia because like I mentioned China for some industries is becoming no longer competitive the labor wages have increased the regulations are changing Um, China is moving up the value chain and some of the industries that where China was competitive before they're facing a lot of competition from countries such as Vietnam Malaysia and India so some of our clients in Africa we're also trying to position ourselves how we can add value not only from China, but from other Asian countries. Now, if you had to pick one Asian country, for example, that's uh, giving very stiff competition, where do you see companies moving, especially into manufacturing? I think it's better to look at it from a product point of view, because if you look at some of the lower value added products, such as textiles, um, you know, countries like Bangladesh, Pakistan, Vietnam, Myanmar, they're giving China quite uh, a challenge in terms of some of the you know some of the chemical industries India Turkey is giving a lot of competition if you look at the steel sector countries such as again Turkey even Russia Ukraine and India they're offering a challenge so it depends on the product it depends on the industry but at the same time this doesn't mean that you know all is through from China. China has its own plan. It's called Manufacturing 20. China, made in China, China Manufacturing 2025. And basically, China wants to become competitive in 10 key areas, including, you know, high value technology, you know, developing the train systems. So China is looking to compete with uh, Western countries. They're not looking to compete with uh, necessarily other developing countries. Right. And uh, finally, 
Kamal, we've been talking about the name of your company. We've mentioned it a few times now. What does the acronym stand for? Uh, Kamal used originally used to stand for China Africa Merchants Advisors Limited. But we figured that name is too long, so we just use the acronym now. <laughs> okay, Walter, thank you so much again for joining us today and all the best. Oh, thank you for having me. And that's it from this week's edition of My China Story. Thanks for joining us. Tune in again next week, same time, when I bring you yet another conversation with foreign individuals living or traveling around the Middle Kingdom. To listen to this and other previous episodes, subscribe to our podcast by typing in My China Story from wherever it is you prefer to get your podcasts. You can also leave us your questions, comments or suggestions and we'll be happy to get back to you. For now though, from me, Nila Nyakoa, it's goodbye. Until next time.